Um, and so, uh, but anyway, we're going to deal with tonight uh, the sovereign God seeks to redeem, restore in this age the misuse of purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. And uh, that is one that, uh, that's a subject tonight I really, really love. Because, boy, there was an old DC Talk song. I don't know if y'all ever used to listen to DC Talk. And, uh, and the name of the song was called In the Light. And there's a line in there that, uh, that I keep, always kind of keep saying to myself, that I'm a man who's, in, who's still in need of a Savior. And, uh, and it's so true. You know, it's so, you know, it's so uh, crazy to walk with God and, and try to go for it. And none of us are going to hit it 100%. You just, especially when you're talking about the purposes of God, the timing of God, boundaries of God, you know, authority. Um, you know, it's just, you need the mercy and grace of God. Amen. And so, uh, in fact, uh, you know, I... Um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, but I remember when, uh, you know, uh, Shay and Michelle were, or Shay was little, you know, just born, and I'm going, okay, God, I just need to get it all right. If I get it all right, everything will be good with Shay and Michelle. I mean, Shay and Michelle wasn't even born then, and thinking about, but, uh, and I'm just thinking, I just get it all right, and I'm going, no, no. I know getting it all right. And that's where I'm convinced that there's only two words that are crucial for parenting in any facet of life, grace and mercy. In fact, that's what we'll talk about tonight. And so, anyway, on your, in your notes on page, page if it's 15, and, uh, and, and so when we're talking about God redeeming things, um, First thing is that I just really wanted to establish, first off, is anything is the foundation is the deal with the redemption is God, his nature and character. And, uh, and so, you know, the first thing is the reality is in Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work out for good. He don't cause all things, but he works, literally works to cause all things to work out for our good. So he's always doing doing something in relationship to redeem our mess-ups, our screw-ups. And, uh, and so that's, that's God's character. And you think about this. Think about this 2 Peter 3, 9, where God does not purpose or plan any man to perish, but all to come into repentance. So, so, he, so in our life, in, in the facets of life, he's always working to cause our screw-ups to be out for our good. And uh, ain't it cool BJ and Terry here? It is so cool. <laughs> well, we love you. That's what we'll call you out. So, so anyway, that how God has just got to realize this. God is constantly at work to redeem. In fact, think about the other past scripture that I've got later on. Is that 2 Samuel 14, 14. For God does not take away life but plans ways to bring the banished ones back. Um, I was in Atlanta this weekend, and it was one of those, it was an awesome weekend, but it was one of those weekends that was really, really emotional. Um, um, there was a, a woman there who's, uh, who, precious woman, very precious couple that was not a part of Dan and Anna's church, but Dan and Anna met them. Uh, they had a, this couple had a son, their only son, 
Uh, he was in his teenage years, um, in the mid-teenage, but uh, committed suicide. And the wife and is the one who found him. And, and the, the, it was even worse that he didn't, you know, he didn't die right away. And, uh, you know, but then to see God at work to cause uh, that horrific event to work out for good. I mean, to see him starting to heal her heart where um, just this craziness. Uh, there was a pastor there who had been pastoring for like 40 years and precious brother, but um, about five years ago, never drank in his life, never was a teetotaler all his life, but pressure in a bunch of different ways. He gave in to just drinking just to sedate some of the pain. And next thing you know, uh, he becomes an alcoholic, loses his marriage, loses uh, ministry, and, uh, you know, just, just seeing how circumstances and situations happen to bring destruction. But then it's really cool to see God start to do a work to redeem. And, uh, and so, because, you know, look at this past scripture talking about the faithfulness of God in 2 Timothy 2, 2.13. If we're without faith, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And, uh, you know, uh, we can get, when we start trying to do life and do ministry and deal with circumstances and situations, it is so easy that our frustrations, we start trying to draw lines in the sand, you know, and uh, and, go, and, and in our hearts, we start protecting ourselves by shutting, shutting off, you know, uh, especially more closer to the people we love. Uh, it's easy to just build those walls to protect yourself. But those walls, that's just a really um, smoozing definition for hate. Um, because hate literally means to push away. And uh, the word picture of it is to push away. And so when we or somebody else blows it, we, you know, to catch the reality that God is faithful, for, you know, he, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. I mean, just think about it, what does that mean? I mean, I think it was last week I, I maybe said to y'all, you know, I get asked a lot of times with students, you know, um, you know, before the foundation of the world, does God know who's going to go to hell? Can God see that? Well, yeah and no. I don't think it's a question about him able to see it. I think it's a question about him, his nature and character so much that he sees always in faith. He always is faithful, for he cannot, what? Deny himself. So if he ever ceases to be in a place of believing for us in this age, um, you know, he would have to stop being himself. And so it just, it just brings me so much comfort to know that that he is always faithful. 
Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life for the foundations of the world. And so he's always seeing. He's always believing. You know, I remember when, uh, um, you know, I remember a number of years ago when the whole thing, when, the, when they finally caught up with Osama bin Laden and, uh, and they, you know, they killed him. And there was a lot of rejoicing that was going on. And, and, uh, and I could not rejoice in that. You know, I just think about the Ezekiel passage where it says, God does not take delight in the death of the wicked, but the wicked would repent. And so just thinking about when we or somebody we care about or it's within our sphere of authority is, uh, uh, has blown it. We're not either fulfilled a place, a purpose, or we haven't fulfilled a um, you know, authority, or we violated boundaries, or we violated, um, you know, what's the other time? God ain't giving up. God is not giving up. And uh, so he works to cause all things to work out for good. In fact, it's really kind of cool, BJ and Tara here, because I was telling some people about y'all this last weekend uh, when I was in Atlanta, you know, you know, when B.J. was doing worship, I'd always get him to, not always, but a number of times I'd get him to sing that song that, we're, that God gave him in the midst of when his, his wife, first wife, had left him. And here he is laying in the living room floor, just tore up. But, you know, the, the, the thing I was just telling about was that how God works to cause all things to work out for good. And, and B.J. definitely is like me. He outmarried himself. You know, and, uh, and he gets Tara, too. Only God does stuff like that, you know, you know, Phil, I mean, you, gone th you went through hell in relationship to the death of your wife, but uh, God gives you, you know, that's redemption of God. And so uh, anyway, so God, God is faithful. And so the other thing that's really important to realize, not only is he faithful, notice that next statement there. That when we make mistakes, God starts the journey to seek to redeem. And that's where that 2 Samuel 14, 14 passage really comes in. Where the Lord God does not take away I mean, uh, life, but plans ways to bring the banished ones back. I mean, you've got to get that picture of that. Here's the almighty, sovereign God, you know, having a heaven's view and how he's planting people around people's, you know, in, among your paths that when we start going off. You know, I remember, uh, you know, when I was 16, I'd got saved, but I think I shared y'all before, my idea of being a Christian was don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go to girls that do, you know, and, and uh, you know, law, and it didn't take me long at all to get back out in the world. Only thing was, I was back in the world, it was worse than it was before. But I remember one, never forget one night, me and uh, our roommates, we were just wasted. I mean, we were just plum wasted, and and that's when I was playing baseball, and we had an apartment. That was a trip, too. I thought we were playing baseball. How many times we go on a van that, that smoke and the, the, the dope smoke was so <laughs> thick in the van you barely couldn't see out. No wonder we had a losing record. <laughs> so, I mean, anyway, but I'll never forget this one particular night. We're, we were drinking. We, we had the big drugs back then. It was wild turkey. That's Okeechobee drugs, you know. And uh, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in the, our living room, because obviously this is before Paula. 
So, but we had this, well, it wasn't a living room. It was just one big room. The kitchen's over here in the living room. But, well, we had a couch where you had a TV. There was a couch there, a couch here, and a coffee table. And I'm sitting on this, in this couch, and there was a whole bunch of people around me. And there was a fifth of wild turkey sitting right there in front, which I had already probably drank another one. And uh, sitting there, and all of a sudden these two guys came in, which, to be honest with you, I only saw them one time before where we were drag racing against them. And, and they came in, and one of them sat down right there, and the other one went over to the kitchen for some reason. When the other one went over to the kitchen, everybody goes over there. And, uh, and I'm standing, I'm just sitting there, you know, of course I'm out of it, and I look at the guy and I go, hey, man, you want some, you want some wild turkey? Oh, you want some turkey, man? And he looks at me and he goes, no, man, I don't drink. I'm a Christian. And I go, oh, wow, man, I am too. <laughs> you know, but, but the crazy thing is when I said that, one of the things I had said in my heart that I, you know, I had against being Christians was is they were wimps. And, uh, and that was back in the day. I mean, that's what I thought. But all of a sudden I heard God speak to me, you know, here, that's what you're thinking. That's what you're operating like. You're, you're not standing up for truth, and here this guy is standing up. And so all of a sudden, I just saw that as God doing, sticking somebody in my way to bring it. What, BJ, what'd you, sorry, I keep picking on BJ because he ain't, you know, here. But BJ, what, didn't you get caught for stealing from a church? Yeah. <laughs> He, and, he, and he ran into this little old lady. Wasn't that, what, what got you? What, what, didn't, well, you had to go to church there. Wasn't that one of your sentences? They didn't want me to pay for the stuff I brought up. They just wanted me to go to church. They said they loved me for being there. That's so cool. <laughs> That's God. You know, God's working to put these roadblocks in your ways. And praise God for mamas and daddies who pray, who put those, put those roadblocks in your way. You know, where it looks like in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, where I look for a man or woman to build up a wall, stand in the gap that I would not destroy the land. And in that passage, he says, but I found none. But the reality is when there's intercession going on, you're agreeing with God and putting things in the path to protect and also allowing the will of God to be brought about here on earth as it is in the heaven. So our God is at work. And so to redeem, to think about that in light of Proverbs 23, 6. Surely goodness and what? Mercy or loving kindness shall, how long? All the days of your life. All the days of your life. And so, in fact, the really crazy thing is, is is that when we step into things of sin, like for the children of Israel, when they sinned um, in the, you know, when they did not go into the promised land, they sinned, they ended up experiencing a wilderness of sin and death, which was not cool. You know, and you remember we talked about the other night how uh, God, main way God, did we talk about that? Main way how God disciplines is that he turns us over to our own devices. Well, that's what happened with children of Israel. They get 40 years, and they were turned over to their own devices. But I love that past scripture in uh, Hosea 2.14, where God's saying about that wilderness, he says, I've put before them a valley of Achor and uh, literally a, a door of hope. 
So God is working to cause these things with children of Israel. Here they, they just uh, were stuffing it in God's face. And God allowed that in that time gave them a door of hope. And um, that's the nature and character of our God. I love that most of y'all have heard me talk about the deal with Peter, Peter in, Luke, in John chapter 18 where he denies Jesus three times. But then you remember in, in the start of John 21 where Jesus is there. I mean, Peter is there with all his chums and he, Peter goes, you know, this is after Jesus rose from the dead and they've had an experience with the Lord, but Peter's eat up with guilt. He cannot receive the reality of the risen Lord. I mean, it's not sinking in. And he says to the other guys, he says, I'm going fishing. And that is so normal for all of us that whenever we've got a major failure like that, the major temptation is just go back to what you know. Uh, you know, I've thought that so many times, it's not even funny. And, uh, and so you just think, just go back. But it's interesting to me that how they're, they're out fishing and they're not catching anything. Y'all know the story, but... but and I'm going to speak it just in case somebody, both on, on the thing, and y'all haven't heard me say this, but they're fishing, not catching anything. All of a sudden, they see Jesus on the shore. They don't know quite who it is, and he says, put your, put your, put your net on the other side. So all of a sudden, they start pulling up, and too much for their net to, to, you know, to, to bring in. Well, the interesting thing is, one of them says, that's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water. And for a long time, I always thought that Peter jumped in the water to swim to shore to see Jesus. But if you notice, if you read it, what's happening is, is that the others go ashore and Peter's there with the fish. And when Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? The these is the fish. And that's, you know, and I didn't catch it for long, so long. But he said, do you love me more than these? Because he jumps, he sees Jesus and he jumps in the water to tend to fish. And because he's running with guilt. But the interesting thing to me is that Peter denied Jesus. Where was it that Peter denied Jesus? Where? Around a charcoal fire. Charcoal fire. And it's interesting to me in the book of John, it highlights that. And uh, this one of the things that's very interesting to me that the sense of smell is one of the greatest imprinters of information into your heart. You know, uh, you know, you could all kind of crazy stories. You know, emotions imprint information, but smell is a major imprinter of information. That, that's why perfume. And so, but the interesting thing to me, Peter denies Jesus three times around a charcoal fire. Well, when Peter and the disciples get up there on shore. Jesus specifies this that Jesus built a charcoal fire and he's he's got the fish on a charcoal fire the smell of a charcoal fire and then three times Jesus asked Peter and then tells commissions him every time that is cool to me the redemption of God how he take something. I know that without a shadow of a doubt for Peter, every time he would have probably smelled a charcoal fire, he would have thought about, I've denied Jesus. I've denied Jesus. 
But Jesus turned around and gave him a charcoal fire to not imprint over, I mean, to not declare his denial of Jesus, but he imprints over it with redemption. In fact, a lot of times uh, what I, when we're ministering to people who've experienced traumatic events um, or they've blown it a lot, uh, you know, that event has occurred. The memory of that, God does not come and vacuum suck that out of your brain. But, you know, events will have, like, stamps over them. Like, some kind of declaration. It always, events always communicate information. And, and so, like, a, a woman who's been raped, trauma, trauma, you know, but it is so cool never to belittle what happened to her, but it is so cool to see the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ come over and stamp over that place in her heart with redemption, love, tenderness, compassion. Um, and that is the coolness of our God. That when we blow it, he comes and starts working and saying, hey, let me, uh, let me stamp that one. Something different. You know, it's kind of interesting to me that uh, one of the biggest failures in my life in the area of ministry was when Paul and I left here doing Eagle's Nest in 1994. 94? 95? It was 1995. Yeah, early 95. Yeah, 95. Because we were here four years, weren't we? Yeah. But that was a major point of failure for me because, I mean, I left 250 college students just in, in love with Jesus, pursuing after Jesus, and I go back to a place that, go back to a place that where I was, you know, it was, not, it was time for me to leave. But the really cool thing to me was there God sends us to Boone and allows healing to occur in our hearts but in that place, God says, with Daryl Roberts says, Rick, I think God's telling you to go back to Blacksburg and start a church. Well, you know, that is so cool to me. That is the sovereign God working to redeem. And, and you know, I'm standing here tonight because of that. And so and God could have given up on me because I'll be honest with you, at that season, there's a lot of, other people were giving up on me. But the cool thing is our God never gives up. And, and so, uh, so anyway, the other thing I want you to notice in the middle of your page, in that page 15, sort of the top middle, is that when we step into sins like the children of Israel in the wilderness, uh, a wilderness of sin and death, there's adversities can pop up because of the event. And one of them is trials or temptations. Um, and that's where you'll see that 1 Peter 1, 6, that's the Tom Burby passage, where, you know, it says, in this you've been distressed by various trials, if necessary. In other words, there's times that you don't have to be distressed by various trials. But sometimes we step into them that it's a result of some of the stupidness that we may entertain. And 
And unfortunately, I've had a bunch of these opportunities of these trials or temptations because of stupidness. And, and, and the really important thing to me is in it is to realize that God turns that away, around to be, be, allow it to become a point of proving us. He, he doesn't waste anything. He turns it around and it becomes a point to prove us. And if you notice that first Peter chapter 6 verses, you know, verse 6 and 7, where it talks about the testing of your faith being more precious than gold may result in praise, glory, and honor. You know, uh, can I say this real quick? And this sounds like I'm back, uh, backtracking. But I don't like to do ministry with people that don't, I've heard a guy say this before, walk with a limp. Because when I'm around somebody that, that says they can do it all right, and I have been there, um, I don't trust them. Because uh, they're walking with something that's, that they can't sustain. In fact, eventually something will happen that will not be cool. And if you're around, it can be really hardcore. An interesting thing to me is like that Psalm 105, verse 13, with Joseph. I don't know if y'all realize this, that Joseph is, but you remember Joseph had this destiny, he had this vision, this dreams, that he was going to be a leader. So much his parents and also his brothers are going to bow down and worship him. But not being too smart and full of himself, he helped his brothers realize that fact. And, and you know, in fact, my belief is that Joseph was, was pretty self-centered and selfish and not qualified to be a leader when he's in his father's house. And the interesting thing is, is that, that uh, Joseph, because of, I believe, his, his uh, pride, he ends up in Egypt. You know, he ends up in a pit, then he ends up in Egypt. But then it's interesting to me that God turns around that when his brothers come and uh, to meet him, you know, when Egypt, when the famine hit, that Joseph didn't make a big deal about it to his brothers. Well, I mean, as far as, are you the ones that sent me here, you know? You know, except God allowed this to send me here so that literally many people would be saved. That is a God that is so cool. It's so cool that God will turn around and allow it to be the point of proving. Or how about, uh, when I, we talked about it one night, about Moses, when the children of Israel rejected him being their leader. And think about this. Really think about it from two sides. Moses takes... He, he misses the timing of God and he starts trying to deliver Israel on his own strength, on his own power. He was a man mighty in word and deed according to Acts 7. At the same time, he starts trying to take things on his own hands. At the same time, children of Israel reject him. Who made us, who made you to be our ruler? And it does say in Acts 7, what is it, Forty. Oh, 30, I think it's 42 or something further down where they're saying, you know, 
this Moses whom they disowned. Well, you got two, you got two major events that where God starts to redeem. So God sends Moses off into the wilderness there where he can get free of himself and tend, a little sh tend sheep for 40 years so that when he comes back, he's a man that's humble. That, uh, in fact, he said that about himself. He was the most humble man on all the earth, right? That's what Moses said about himself. <laughs> and so, and uh, you believe him, yeah? And, uh, but anyway, it's interesting to me the thought of that 40 years, how both Moses experienced wilderness, but the children of Israel experience slavery for rejecting Moses. But then God does a thing to redeem it. Redeem the time and re redeem the event. And so, you know, in fact, I, I, I want, do want to speak this real quick. There were two major things that Moses was wrestling with and ask you to consider this is that Moses was wrestling with the need of acceptance and he was wrestling with the need of identity. One is he had been rejected uh, by the children of Israel. I already said that. But the other was, you remember when Moses got there? I mean, God at the burning bush, and, and Moses says, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh? Well, that is totally opposite of what Moses was thinking before. He would have taken on the whole Egyptian army before. But all of a sudden, he's lacking identity. So much, y'all, that he stuttered. And that was not him before. Because it does say, like I said earlier, he was a man mighty in word and deed. And so he was clear in speech before. But after spending time in the wilderness, God brings him out. And he becomes a man that's dependent upon God. Even in relationship to his mouth. And so, uh, you know, I just want to say this just before we go take one more step. I, you know, y'all, the thing is that we've got to have is a complete 100% confidence in who our God is. That's it. Close shot. Not in our ability to make it right or do it right. It's just to respond back to God. And whenever he says, but God, I just need you, I want you, and whatever I need to do just to release you into my situation, tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how I can align myself with who you are and make right any wrong that I've done. You know, I heard a guy say one time here in Dwelling Place, uh, if you want to see Rick repent, just hang around long enough, you'll hear him. You know, and so... You know, that's just a heart. You know, God, dude, I need you, God. And, uh, and so, you know, the next one I want to speak real quick, and we'll be speaking a lot about this next week, but about mercy and grace. How many of y'all have ever heard me talk about mercy and grace? About half of y'all? It's, uh, of course, we'll spend four nights about all that come come next weekend, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, it's, the, it's the biggest, I was telling Tom earlier, it's the biggest thing in my whole life that's had an effect in my life. 
Because here you're raised up in seminary and, and you're going, okay, what's grace? You know, then you fall into the trap of going, okay, grace is unmerited favor. But then you start looking at the word of God and you go, okay, well, wait a minute. If, if grace is totally unmerited favor, then why is it that if God says he's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble? Well, if he gives it's totally unmerited favor, it seems like you'd be giving grace to the proud. And you so you say it again. Well, if grace is totally unmerited favor, why is it to say in Hebrews twelve fifteen, see to it none none of you come short of the grace of God. That a rude bridleness spring up and defiles many. So if grace is totally unmerited favor, how can you cut be cut off from it? The big one is Galatians five four, where it says, you know, you know, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Well, the interesting thing to me, a lot of times people throw, throw off that question to people in ministry. Go, how do you believe you can fall from grace? Well, yeah, I don't think that means what you think it means. Because it's not falling from grace is not, quote, falling in sin. Falling from grace is walking in the law. Trying to be justified by the works of the law. Because there's no grace there. He's severed from Christ. I mean, you sever yourself from literally the life flow of Jesus. And you take up yourself to justify yourself in your eyes and, and whatever you do. Grace. So what does it mean? What does grace mean? Well, grace... The root word of grace is the Greek word kara, meaning joy. And literally, joy, grace is literally joy expressed. Many times people associate grace with the forgiveness of sin. Like, uh, you know, if Paula, I sin against Paula, many times in the past, maybe I say, oh, babe, give me grace. No, I don't need grace. I need grace as partner. That's mercy. And I need grace, too. <laughs> She's pushing that, yeah. <laughs> because mercy deals with forgiveness. In Romans chapter 11, verse 30 through 33, it makes the statement that says, God has shut everyone up in disobedience that he may give mercy to all. <laughs> Excuse me. So, Mercy is that which God gives you when you blow it, or in relationship to one another. In fact, you remember in Luke 6, where it's talking about with, when people blowing it with you and sinning against you. Always remember this one. If you condemn, you will be condemned. You give mercy you will receive mercy, and by the standard of measure you use, it is the standard of measure that will be measured to you. So that is why it is so crucial for us to be men and women full of mercy, because God is rich in mercy because of his what? Great love with which he's loved us. So the first step for us, if we blow it, is to, is to, we need the mercy of God, but the first step of receiving the mercy of God is to make sure that we give mercy. And, 
And it is really easy to kind of stockpile things where people have wronged us. And uh, in fact, really be honest with you, I, th- I heard uh, through the grapevine that Janelle, y'all had, did y'all have Lord's Supper Sunday? And Janelle shared. And really, you know, the, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that has got to do with judging the body, not our individual body, but this body, rightly. And it is a thing that if you're not giving mercy when you take the Lord's Supper, that's a, not a, that's a dangerous thing to do. I'll never forget, we used to, we used to have a rock, a climbing wall in there. And what we would do is, on Sundays, we would put communion in there. And so during worship, people were free to go into the, the rock and take commun- communion. Like, I really like that. I wish we could do that, somehow like that, because you were just free to go. And we did it a lot. It was really cool, because you could just take it alone. And it's cool to do it as a body, but it's really cool to be able to do it alone. We'd do it as a family, do it, Paul and I'd do it. But I remember one day, I'm going over in the, I'm going to go take communion. Worship's going on. So I go in there, I'm going to take communion. And so I'm, uh, I'm in there praying. And all of a sudden, the Lord brings up to me this person who I have got some stuff in my heart with. So I do the religious prayer. Heavenly Father, I forgive Forgive me for, you know, you know, the whole standard equipment stuff, you know, you know. But in the back of my mind, I'm, I know that this is not from down here, you know. You know when you're doing it from here and, and, not, and doing it not from here, but you're doing it from here. So anyway, so I went ahead and took communion. And this is no exaggeration. God's honest truth. I took communion. By the time I got to the door, I was sick. I am not exaggerating. And it was, I was sick. It was, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm boy, 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 it was one of those times I'm going, okay, Jesus, if I'm holding on to stuff, just don't be in a hurry to do this. <laughs> because you think about it, the degree that Jesus offered up his body, his blood, his life to give us mercy. And we turn around and we uh, do not give mercy. That's a deadly thing. And so, in fact, it says, if you do not forgive others, how can he forgive you? And then the second thing in receiving mercy is, is uh, is to ask God to forgive you. And this is very important to speak this, y'all. Because when we're talking about the sovereign God seeks to redeem violations of purpose, time, boundaries, and authority, and usually if we're dealing on that kind of level of stuff, we're, you know, there can be some, I mean, you can deal with some heavy stuff. I remember, again, when I left here to go back down to, Big Stone Gap, and I heard all these college students. Um, it was one thing to ask God to forgive you, but you know the crazy reality was I had hurt at least 250 college students. 
And it seemed like every time I was turning around, I was running into somebody who, who I hurt. And so it's, it seemed like every place I was going for a period of time, all I was getting reminded of was my failure. Quote, failure. Which, that's another question I'm going to ask here in a second. In fact, I'll just go ahead and do it. Let me ask you a question. So, so do you think you believe that you've ever failed God? You know it's a loaded question, or I wouldn't ask it. So you think you failed God? Okay, well, let me just, let's quote a couple past scripture. Luke twenty two thirty one says, Jesus is talking to Simon in, in 30. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. He says, I pray for you that your faith would not fail. When you've once returned, strengthen your brothers. Two verses later, or three verses later, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Now, was Jesus talking out of two sides of his mouth? Because in my book, y'all, denying Jesus three times, that's pretty big. In fact, you can pull some scriptures out. It says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I mean, that's pretty tall order. But the interesting thing, think about this. Jesus saying that to Peter, says, when you've once returned, strengthen your brothers. He was saying to him that denying him was not failure. When you've once returned, strengthen your brothers. You know how I know none of you in this room have failed, God? Because you're sitting right here. Because you haven't quit. The only difference between Peter and jo Judas is Judas quit. Tom? I, I have a question. So isn't mercy too, isn't that related to justice? With regard to extending mercy? Because if, if, if the, remember the jailer? Uh, or the guy that, you know, was uh, of a debt that was that was forgiven him. And then he went and he, the other guy had a much smaller debt that was owed him and he just he just basically beat the guy up to get it. And then the other guy said, you, you, you know, I forgave all that debt and you didn't, you know, you, you didn't show any mercy and you threw him back in jail. And so he paid that back, the whole thing. Isn't that a justice? Thing? Well, keep going. What do you mean? Why is it, why is it related? I know you stole that scripture as examples. But go, go a couple steps further. Go on. Well, I, I'm thinking that, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't show mercy. And so um, I'm thinking... He demanded justice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he demanded justice. So isn't it related to justice? Yeah, that is, that is a good point. I never thought of it that way, but that's a good point. That is a real good point. Because the interesting thing is, is in Hebrews, I'm not Hebrews, Ephesians... 432 it says this just as God in Christ in Christ has forgiven you so also should you forgive one another so the just the only way that justice can be given in relationship to forgiveness of sin is the cross and then what Tom's saying is another step is that because of the mercy shown for, to us on the cross, we can 
extend full just I mean full mercy. Yeah, that's very good, Tom. Don't you know if you, you ever been you don't raise your hands, but you ever been wronged, really wronged, and you start praying for God's justice? Yeah, that's, that's not cool. Kind of, you know, yeah. I've been, I've been, in fact, we may need to talk about this. <laughs> I was thinking about the pipeline, and I'm going, I was going, God, we just bring justice for us. And I, you almost could hear God in the background. You sure you want justice? Don't you want mercy? <laughs> Don't you want to give mercy? And I'll bring, and then justice is a natural facet of God doing a work. So it's kind of, yeah, Tom, I like that. I like that. So anyway, uh, where did I go? How did I, where was I at? Mercy, right? Oh, one of the things that's very, very important um, that's, that you'll see on your notes in relationship to the mercy of God, is Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Y'all, that is, to me, even though it's in the Old Testament, it is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture regarding the cross in the whole Bible. You know, where it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. And then it goes on, on down, and it says, The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. For by his stripes we are healed. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. What does that mean? Literally it means the whippings for the things we did wrong, Jesus carried. In other words, y'all, we don't have to do penance. Ain't that because of the cross. On the cross, the the mental anguish, that 53-4, surely our griefs himself bore, our sorrows who carried. That Hebrew word there in 53, or griefs is the Hebrew word for mental anguish. Jesus carried any, any mental anguish, an abuse victim. Jesus carried that on the cross. He carried that. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer over somebody and allowed the reality of the cross to be in their lives and to take the sorrow and the grief of an, a, a traumatic event. But then on the flip side, where we're talking about God is redeeming, where purpose, time, boundaries, and authority have been violated, is that, y'all, we don't have to bear the punishment for what we did wrong. That is crazy to me. You know, we deserve it. We deserve it. You know, you can hear the words, oh, you made your bed, lie in it. <laughs> well, I don't really want to lie <laughs> You know, when you start thinking about it. And that is so when we're talking about the sovereign God coming and redeeming uh, our mess-ups, you know, he's going, okay, I will bear that punishment for you. So that... Guess what? We can be candidates for the grace of God. Now, I got ahead of myself and started telling you about grace, but so, head of mercy, 
But now you can understand that where mercy is, grace, he's not talking about the forgiveness of sin. Just like Paula spoke to me, grace takes you out of the sin. In fact, the definition, the working definition that I use for grace, grace takes you to a level you cannot attain on your own. For by grace are you saved. I could not save myself. So guess what? Grace takes me to that level. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Sin shall not dominion have dominion over you, because you're not under law, but under what? Grace. So a guy's ability to get free from an addiction is not because of the works of the law, but because of the grace of God re- released in that person's life. And so one of the things is, is that firm conviction for me is that, oh, Ooh, I messed up. Can I put grace on Paul's second? Let me go back to mercy. When you ask God to forgive you, really, always remember this. There are three facets to his forgiveness to us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Hebrews 10, 17 says he forgives our iniquities and he remembers them no more. He forgives, which the Greek word forgive means to send forth. He cleanses and he forgets. So the screw-ups in relationship to, to purpose, time, boundaries, and authority, God's coming and saying, I want to forgive it. I want to deal with that completely. So he sends it forth from us in a, in a way that is so powerful. Um, in the grace of God, now, let me, let me say this now. This is what's very important. Mercy deals with forgiveness. Grace takes you out of sin. And one of the things that we'll talk about next week is that the, is the law of Moses versus the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of Moses, one of the forces of the law of Moses is is the consequence of sin. Like when David sinned with Bathsheba, you know, Nathan comes to him and David repents. He said, forgive me. Well, God says your sins are forgiven, but the child will die. That is a consequence of sin. It's when you sin and there'll be an effect. The consequence of sin is still present because God did not do away with the law of Moses. However, the grace of God is able to overcome the effects of the law of sin and death, the consequences of sin. That's why Romans 5.20 says, where sin is, what? Grace abounds all the more, which interpreted means God's ability to redeem far seeds, our ability to screw it up. And so, and so what you're looking for is to see the grace of God released into our lives. Now, next week we'll go more in detail about this, but here's a question you've got to ask. What gives God legal right to give you grace? And I know that's some circles that almost is like a heretical question to ask, But the reality, like I said to you all earlier, if grace is totally unmerited favor, I told you three things. The reality is, we're like it says in Romans 5.21, grace reigns through righteousness. 
Grace flows, literally flows into your life and my life through righteousness. It's like there's this giant reservoir of the grace of God, which is literally in Christ Jesus. There's this giant reservoir, and, and there's a funnel that drops it into our lives, and it's the righteousness of, it's righteousness. But in Romans, Romans, book of Romans and Galatians, the big question is righteousness, which is according to the law, or righteousness, which is according to what? Faith. And that's why you see what releases the grace of God into your life and my life is faith. Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Romans 5, 2. For by faith we have our introduction into grace. Romans 4, 16. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. So if I'm dealing with a situation where I've blown it and everybody around me is still remembering my mistake and I need the grace of God to take me out of that situation, what's very crucial for me is to exercise my faith in the promises of God to redeem. If there are not if there is not faith in the promises of God to redeem that situation, there will be no grace to take that person to another level or to take me to another level. And one of the big things that's hard in a relationship for Paul and I, or I'm sure Paul and I are not alone in this, but, it's, but when you make a mistake, you know, like it is so hard, so easy to remind the other person of the mistakes of the past. But when you remind a person of, or you entertain thoughts of your past, what's happening is you're destroying your faith. And there's no faith. There will be no grace in that situation to carry you out of the sin. The biggest, the biggest battle that we can, we fight to see the redemption of God to carry us out of things is the exercise in faith in the redemption process of God to see it work. That's the guy, that's the issue the guys in the regen program deal with. Yeah, a lot of them, I say a lot of them, some of them have done some pretty crazy stuff. And they've done some things that are really, you know, really hurt their families. And uh, in fact, I was talking to a, a lady today in Pembroke um, whose husband has been constantly dealing with addiction issues. He keeps going back into it. And I can't help but believe the number one issue in his life is is that he, he, he totally blew it in relationship to his first wife and, and kids uh, and, and really hurt him a lot in his, through his addiction process and just really, literally lost his family. Well, in that place, I believe one of the things that why he's wrestling with falling back into addictions is that... Uh, 
because he's having a hard time receiving by faith the redemptive process of God. And so uh, really think about this and don't just think, just go, oh yeah, I believe. Do you? Do you? Do I? Do I believe that God can cause what? All things to work out together for my good. And so dad is in that place that God is able to totally redeem purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Now, let me put a commercial in here real quick. Think, let's think back where we've come from. And let's put this in context before we go on. We were talking about sovereign. When you talk throwing out the term sovereign God, we're saying that sovereign God is God's the ruler of all things, owner of all things, creator of all things. So he's a creator of all things, and he created everything under law, not law do's and don'ts, but order. He assigned it. He assigned it with five things. The sovereign God created everything with purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. The sovereign God allows the freedom to receive and fulfill or reject and violate purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Sovereign God judges and will judge how purpose, time, boundaries, and authority are utilized. And then last week would have been what the thing we slipped over tonight is that the sovereign God recompenses how purpose, time, boundaries, and authority are utilized. Tonight, we're talking about him redeeming it. Now, think about this, y'all. When God said, let there be light, when he said, let there be light, literally, we know that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. Revelations 13, 8. So God knew, God knew that he was going to have to redeem it just to give us freedom. That's a crazy thought. And he could have fixed it and controlled it in a way that, guess what? He wouldn't have to pay such heavy price. But that is, a, that is the awesomeness to me when we start to consider the sovereign God. He redeems my mistakes. He redeems them. And so, um, is there any thoughts or questions or comments up to this point in time? Anybody got something they want to share? Yeah, last week we talked about uh, judge. Was it last week? Yeah. yeah, we talked about judgment. Interesting thing in, not, in Hebrews nine twenty seven, that you and I will not be judged in reference to sin. The thing we'll be judged for is in relationship to works. Well, well, works, 
The foundational work of God is to believe. That is the foundational work of God. Faith is, faith is a work. You know. Yeah, don't, uh, don't equate uh, uh, works in the kingdom and relationships. The works that you and I will walk and be judged in relationship to, like in relationship to secular world. The reality is that work that you... Well, consider this. Consider uh, John 17, where Jesus says, 17, it's either four or five, I always get it mixed up. When Jesus says, Father, I have finished the works you have given me to do. So he said he finished. And think about this. He hadn't even died on the cross yet. And then what he does, 17, four, 17, four, I finished the works which you have given me to do. And if you read the rest of chapter 17, you'll see that what the works of God are in relationship to Jesus' life, and it was the disciples, the ones that Jesus gave him. And every time you'll see works of God, it'll be associated in relation to relationships. Where Paul makes a statement, he says, he says to, was it the Philippians? Thessalonians, you are my reward. You are my crown. When it says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust that's not corrupt, you know what that is? That is relationships that you and I have been faithful with. So that, that is the, those are the works of God in relationship to what you and I, uh, you, I mean, think about the woman who Jesus called this a work, the woman who with the uh, hair and the perfume. She just called that a work. This work this woman done will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. I just think there'll be a lot of works, like even raising your children. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that, you're right, Mike. Yeah, I mean, that's where Paula would look at me at times and say, Rick, you can go and lead, win the whole world to Jesus, but if you lose your own kids, what have you done? You know, so, I mean, you know, we have a tendency the more spiritual things are being on the up front preaching it and stuff like that. But maybe the most spiritual thing is, like you said, a mother who's raising her kids at home. So that's great, Mike. Anybody have any questions or comments? Here it comes. <laughs> Hand that over to him, please. Probably, probably Romans 9 and 10 and 11 talks about um, you, can, you can isolate pastor scripture and, and say, you know, it's people are saved. Uh, it's like, let me read one.
The phrase that gets used is irresistible grace. Um, I'm sorry, Ron, but I really, you could really find it in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11. Excuse me. Read in there, you'll, you'll be able to see it. Well, I don't know if you noticed how I asked the question. I said, if grace was totally unmerited favor, and I'm, I started speaking things, totally unmerited favor. There is a facet that grace is totally unmerited favor. Because the facet that is totally unmerited favor is, is the gift of grace, which is Jesus. So the question is, is not the gift of grace, which is Jesus. The question we're wrestling with is how is the grace of God released into our lives? And that's the big controversy. Yeah, it, so on one side of it, grace is totally unmerited favor. Jesus, the gift of grace. In fact, you'll see mentioned three places in Scripture, like in 2, Peter, 2 Timothy 2.1, uh, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, the grace of God is the reservoir of in Christ Jesus. Anytime you see the phrase in Christ, that's the reservoir of God's grace. So God freely gives us this reservoir of grace. It is sitting there. And, and God is able to make all grace abound to us. The question is, am I going to release that grace into my life? Like, for by grace are you saved? You know, is somebody going to get saved? You know, are they going to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? But that, isn't, that doesn't, doesn't end there. That's why Paul rebuked the Galatians in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, where he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he goes on to say, Have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the works of the law? So what we have a tendency to do is, Oh, I'm saved by grace, but then we start doing the works of the law and live in the works of the law. And so, so yeah. Um, so you are right. There is a facet that the grace of God is totally unmerited favor. So, any other question or comment? You know, it'd be really cool. I wish we had time. Um, and we could, you know, spend time going through these. But uh, I, uh, I don't think necessarily we have to, we've covered a lot of these things just in the process of talking about, about stuff. Um, Can I, there's one that I want to mention, though. Time. Yeah, yes, it did. Now, faith works through love, but faith, through faith. Well, understanding is important. 
Well, understanding literally just means, the Greek word for understanding just literally means to put together. Yeah, just hand that to Joshy so he can run around the microphone. Yeah, understand just means to put, it, to, to put together. And so when we understand something, you understand, oh, grace is released into my life through faith. Oh, okay. So, oh yeah, you can't, well, could, because it talks about in Matthew 13, people understanding with their heart. And so you can't believe unless you understand. You know, so that is, yeah, that it, there's truth in what you say. Yeah, understanding is important. But the reality is faith just comes by hearing a word. Either the word about who God is, his nature and character, or, or a promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Understanding is just part of the process of, of believing. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions? Um, something I wanted to, uh, to mention was down at the bottom about time. Um, that Ephesians 17 passage where it says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then it goes on to say, literally in the Greek it uses this phrase, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And we talked about this three or four weeks ago. And what you want to look for, and we talked about kairos and chronos and stuff like that. But what you want to look for, especially in the redemption process of God, look for these moments that God gives you in time to have an effect in relationships. It'll grace, there will be doorways of grace to be released into your lives. Like, for example, the woman who, who uh, recognized the time, the woman who recognized to go and pour uh, perfume on Jesus' feet and just worship him at that place, that time, released tremendous amounts of grace in her life. Or one of my favorites is, is the woman who uh, Elisha, I didn't put it in your notes there, but in, uh, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 4, where the woman who recognized Elisha would come into town, and every time that Elisha would come into town, she would, she would offer to him to come and stay in their house. She recognized something there. And there was a time for grace. She recognized that. And you remember the rest of the story how because she recognized that time, that opportunity, Kairos moment, if we'd say, she received the ability to have a child and her son. And so there'll be those doorway moments that God will give us, that they'll be before us, that are, that are points of redemption. Um, oh man, that's, there was a situation I can't uh, remember about where yeah, I can't remember the whole story. So anyway, but God will bring you'll be crazy moments where God will bring somebody along that will totally bring redemption over a past. In fact, maybe I'll close with this one. Did I ever tell y'all about? Did I ever tell y'all about the? The woman, the Swedish woman whose parents were missionaries in Africa. 
this is, this is the ultimate redemption process. There was a Swedish couple that, uh, that felt called to Africa to do missions. You remember it? Anybody else remember it? Anyway, she felt called, they felt called to go to Africa on missions. So they go to Africa. So they plug in the, the, this one particular region they felt like God was saying go to. So they go, but the problem is the chief there did not want them coming in the village in any way, shape, or form and talking to any of the adults. In fact, the only contact that this husband and wife had was with a, a little child, a little boy, who would bring eggs and chickens from the village to the missionaries. And that was all they had contact with. And so they started ministering. Well, the, the mom started ministering to this little boy when she'd come, just getting eggs from him. Well, anyway, in the process of this, um, the mom gets pregnant, has a little girl, but in the process of the birth, she dies. And at the same time before this, the mom had led the little boy to Jesus. Okay? The husband has a little baby girl, totally disillusioned with God, go, just goes and just totally hopeless, goes back to Sweden. I think I'm most positive Sweden. And so goes back to Sweden. But before he goes, he, he gives or hands over, whatever you call uh, the little girl to another missionary couple because he is just totally out of it. In fact, he turns to alcoholism. This is a true story, by the way. So anyway, the little girl raised up by the mission, another missionary couple raises up, and she, uh, she you know, grows up as a woman of God, um, goes to a Bible college in America, uh, marries another minister, and uh, things are things are cool, okay. But she has no dealings or no contact with her dad at all. In fact, her dad, what she had found out later on was is that he was an alcoholic. He had remarried and had other kids, but it was just really totally, you know, his life was hopeless. So anyway, so anyway, she hears about this conference in England. I believe it's England she wanted to go to. And it was, there was going to be uh, a, a, a man from Africa that was going to be speaking there. So anyway, she, she, gets, she goes to this conference and she starts to hear this guy talk. And her heart's just burning with, you know, something's up. And so, so anyway, so she wants to talk to this guy. And because he... She did hear that where he was from, the region that she was born in. So she wanted to talk to him. Well, anyway, she goes and she talks to him after the meeting. And the guy uh, says, uh, what's your name? What, you know, and she told him, but it was, you know, adopted name. But where, where, what's your real name? And the guy, she, I mean, the girl tells him that her, what her, first name was and she the, the minister who was now an apostle who had started hundreds of churches in Africa and he was the speaker looked at her and said listen uh, I was the little boy that your mom led to Jesus 
And when you led, she led me to Jesus, it had a major impact on the village. I went back and we started Sunday school. We, you know, such and such, such and such. And you know, you know, so the, you know, the girl just excited. In fact, the guy tells her that her mother was a hero in the faith in their village. In fact, there's a, they have a memorial to her in that village. And so the interesting thing was the, 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 the girl, woman now, went to her dad. Her dad didn't want to see her at first, but she went to her dad and said, listen, dad, um, you know, it worked what, y'all, what you and mom did. Um, and she told the testimony. You know, that's the ultimate to me, the ultimate of redemption. You know, so many times we, we think on the short side, but God never stops working. He, the sovereign God is at work to cause all things to work out for our good. So anyway, so, well, let me close tonight. It's, I just thank you all for letting me uh, hang with you all and, and, this, I have to confess, this is the first time I ever taught this in this kind of setting. Usually the interns will want to catch this. And so, so anyway, so let me pray. So Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for being with my brothers and sisters these last few weeks. And Lord, we thank you for the declarations of your word that tell us that you are a God who owns all things. Lord, who created all things. And you're the ruler of all things. But, Lord, you establish things in a manner to give us, Lord, with, with direction, with focus. Lord, you gave us the freedom to function and fulfill the very destinies you have for us. That, Lord, you're so much that judgment, Lord, is not about on the negative side from your heart. Your judgment is that we can have confidence in the day of judgment, that it be the judgment would be that opportunity for us to receive praise from you according to 1 Corinthians 4, 5. So God, I just thank you so much. And I thank you, Lord, that you're the redeemer. You're the one who is able to redeem our mistakes, Lord, that we can walk in this place. Lord, I thank you for the declaration that around about David, where Lord, where David, God, said who will do a man who will do all your will. Lord, I thank you that a man like David who had so many mistakes, but at the same time, Lord, he rested in your mercy and your grace, Lord, your heart, your love, your compassions, your loving kindnesses, that, Lord, he rested in that place that where it could be stamped over his life, God, that he is a man who would do all your will. Lord, I want to declare that over all of our lives in this room. Lord, that we be men and women Lord, it would be set over our lives that, Lord, we would be ones who will do all your will. And, Lord, it's not because we've done it all right, but, Lord, it's because of your greatness, God, your greatness to, to get us to the journey. Lord, that I can be confident of the very thing that you who began the good work in me, Lord, you will perfect it. You are faithful who you, the one who calls us, you will bring it to pass. So, Lord, I speak over us the revelations of your greatness. Lord, the things that we've just been discussing these last few weeks, God, 
that, Lord, they will take us into ever depths of the revelations of your, of your awesomeness and how we may participate and partner with you. So, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this privilege of being my brothers and sisters. And I bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all. It's awesome to be with you all. Have fun. <laughs>